excited to be here, and as Paul has just exhorted us uh, to not be formed by feelings, I have to remember to not be formed and too excited around number 12 for our Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because I feel like I was formed by feelings this past Sunday, last Sunday, um, and you know, it was, it was interesting because you, you look at that and being a sports guy and, and, and finding a lot of joy in that. Um, I don't know if you watched it, but one of the, one of the most, uh, to me, one of the most compelling images was when Tom Brady, after he won the game, you know, he goes up into the stands and he sees his son. And I love this because he went up there and he, and he kind of looks at his son, right? He's 13-year-old, 12, 13-year-old son and said, can you believe this kiddo? We're going. And, uh, and then the kid just says, I love you, dad. He goes, man, I love you, son. And he, and he said, I love, you, I, love you, I love you, dad. And I forget what else Tom said, but he's about ready to go. And then his son looks at him and just says, I love you, dad. And I thought, man, you know, we're, we're in uh, the gospel according to Moses. What if you saw um, the word of God through the Pentateuch, through the Torah, w- with that kind of lens? Like, so when God gives us a law... When God gives us a way to live, he is saying, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. This is what I want for you. Like, see it that way. Instead of, for some of us, we see it like, hey, you know, God's coming down on us. God is the grand headmaster waiting to put us in, uh, put us in detention. Some of us see it that way. But um, hopefully this morning as we look at the Old Testament um, and we look at uh, uh, what, what Moses wrote, It'll point us to Jesus, and we'll have a better appreciation of um, what, it, what it means for us to live uh, as a son and a daughter of the king, as a true son and daughter of the God of the entire universe. And so one of the things I was nervous about this morning, because we didn't have power until about 840, was I got maps for you guys. Are you excited about maps? It's very exciting. Come on now. Come on. Please feel that with me, okay? So here, we're, we're going to look at the book of Deuteronomy. Say Deuteronomy. Very good. It's the fifth book uh, in the Bible, and I want to show you this map. This is the map. So if you look to the left there, you have Egypt. Of course, here's what we always remember. The grace of the Red Sea comes before Mount Sinai, right? So grace always comes before law. In, in, the, in the Old Testament mind, in Moses' mind, the grand story and the, and the miracle of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, comes before the very bottom of the map there that's the kind of the traditional side of mount sinai right and then they receive the old testament they receive or they, they receive the uh, the ten commandments but you have to remember uh, they were uh, they were rescued from whips and chains and making bricks without straw but i want to show you a picture of where they were that is i mean i was there two years ago i've told you that before but that's the desert right that's what it looked like so God rescued them and brought them on a journey, and they had to travel through this type of terrain to go uh, to Mount Sinai, right? And so they're in Mount Sinai, and I want you to think, I'm just going to give you a date, 1446, right? 1446 is roughly the date of the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, imagine if uh, you spend a little time there, and then during this next year, you move, let's go to the next slide, you move from, it was down here, right? That's all down here, Mount Sinai. You come to Kadesh Barnea, right? That's the beginning at the bottom part of this map. Now, here's the thing. God said this. Israel, I've gone before you. In other words, he's gone before you in your life. He is God, God has moved, and he is what? He has prepared the land for you. 
He has prepared your life for you. Some of you don't believe that, though. You don't believe that he's actually prepared, right? He's prepared a life for you. And so they get to this part, Kadesh Barnea. God says, go. He, he says, look, you've got good leaders. You have Moses, and you have Aaron, you have other, you know, all, all these other 10, uh, 10 tribes, and then you have Joshua and Caleb. You're going you're gonna to go, and you're just going to go take the land. But you know what this is? This is a map of where you and I, we decide, wait, wait, wait. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't, I'm a cautious person. And I am very aware of danger. Maybe that's you. But when God says he has prepared a way for you, he says, you know what? Take the land. In other words, you take the million or so people or however many they they thought, there's been different numbers, and I just want you to go back into the land. Now, why is that important? That's important because this was the land of Jacob. This was the land of Isaac. This was the land of Abraham. This was the promised land. You're supposed to go retake, remember, the whole famine, and you were moved down to Egypt and the story of Joseph, but Moses, Moses is, taking, is, is, is bringing you back to what? To, to recreate what was lost, to go back to where Eden is, and Eden is Canaan, and take the land. Do you believe that you're my people? And he asks you this, and he asks me this. Do you believe that the church that we are the people of God and that God, even in the midst of a pandemic, has a plan for you. Some of us say, no, 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 no. I don't do that, right? I am cautious, and so what do we know? They said, no, we're not gonna go yet. We're not gonna take the whole people. We're sending spies. And this is where we get in the weeds a little bit. Numbers 13 and 14, we see Moses or or, or the, the people of Israel were scared and they said, no, let's send spies. So they sent 12 spies into that land and that's a 500 mile journey to see right to see about all these spies or to see about the people of uh, of canaan all the different amalekites and hittites and canaanites because they wanted to what They, they they were nervous and they were living in fear and here's what we know happens is they come back and they said 10 of them said they're like giants you know, if you compare us to them, very famously says, we're like grasshoppers. If you were to compare, uh, you know, the, 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 ten, the 10 spots, if you were to compare us, I mean, they're like all Goliath. I mean, everybody looks like they're Shaquille O'Neal compared to us. No way. We are not going. And Joshua and Caleb go to Moses and Aaron. No, no, what are, you, what are we doing? God has gone before me. God has a plan for me. Why am I living according to what what Paul just exhorted? Why am I being formed by my feelings instead of what? Instead of the truth. Instead of, I am not going to stare at a 10-foot Goliath, the giant. I'm going to believe that I'm called by God with five smooth stones and that I'm going to defeat this giant because God has prepared a place for you. And some of us are stuck. Maybe that's you. You, you live by your feeling. And, and so we see these different struggles that, um, that the Israelites have. Let's go to the next slide. Here we have, actually, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go skip that slide and I'm gonna go back to that, but let's go to this. So ultimately what happens is this. Uh, they don't make any headway. And what do we know? For 40 years, imagine that. It's a whole biblical generation. 40 years from Kadesh Barnea, they just walk around, right? 
basically it's kind of in circles. That's just kind of speculating. And then they come up to the very tip top right there. I don't want to say that because it sounds a little funny, but the, the city up there. And that's the perspective of Deuteronomy. It's Moses after 40 years, after all the, all the, the, the lack of faith. And Moses is in trouble because if you read the book of Numbers, we realize that God told Moses to speak to the rock and and Moses didn't do that. He hit the rock. Now water still came, but, but God said to Moses, here's your punishment. You are, you are going to always stay in the banks right there looking over the Jordan River. You are never going to enter and lead the people into, what, into the promised land. And that's after Deuteronomy, you have Joshua. Joshua is the one who leads the people of Israel into uh, the promised land. And so for you and for me, if you're Moses... And you're an older Moses, and you realize you're not going to realize you're, you're not going to experience the promised land. But you're staring at a bunch of fifteen to thirty-five year olds, and you want to write them a letter. You want to exhort them. What do you say? You're there on the banks of the Jordan, and you want to encourage them. You want to warn them, but you also want to encourage them. What do you say? And here's Deuteronomy. We're going to start Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter one, verse twenty-six. And he reminds them what they did. This is, so, some of this is hard stuff here. But you were unwilling to go up, Israel. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. In other words, those are the spies that came back. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there, which is a type of, like a type of, uh, type of giant. Um, and then we're actually going to skip to verse 34. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, he will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And then we're going to skip here one more, one more time to verse 31, and then we're going to kind of walk through these. Then you replied, we sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. Now, let me just give you context for verse 41. So once God said, um, why do you need spies and they came back and they said, we're fearful. And then Moses and Aaron said, why are you so fearful? The Israelites finally said this. Okay, we don't want to go all the way back to Egypt. We'll go. We'll go. We'll go and take the promised land. But at this moment, God realized he was just being used. And he said, don't use me just for my power. And so that's the context for this. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, Tell them, do not go up and fight, because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. 
When you, when you look at this passage in this whole entire situation, I think v- very basically you have to ask yourself, what, uh, what, what is wrong with the human heart? What can we diagnose about my heart and about your heart that can be helpful for knowing what the issue is? Because, you know, when you, when you look at this and you understand the, the context and you realize, okay, you know what? They doubted the Lord's word. And, and, and they doubted uh, what, what God was going to do. Sending spies is a bad sign. Some of us think that that's smart, but no, it wasn't. Read the passage. This was not a good sign. Sending spies said, I doubt. Doubt is winning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hedge a little bit. I'm going to hedge by taking that leap of faith. I don't want to have to do it. And God says, will you trust? Right? Will you trust? What do we know happens later on in Joshua? that the, the priests are holding on to the Ark of the Covenant and the Jordan River is at flood, at flood level. It's not until they take the step to step into the Jordan River at, at the flood level in Joshua 3 that the waters part again. Essentially, you have the Red Sea uh, part two. It's not to we decide we're gonna trust God at his word and not trust God according to how we feel because some of you don't feel really good right now. You, you plug in the situation and God is saying, will you trust me? This land is yours, Israel. But what you lack is faith. I know, I know you feel like a grasshopper and you're staring up at these giants. I know that. I know when you walk into this world and it seems like, God, you're not doing anything. We're in a pandemic. There's so much division. But here's what we know. That in Tampa, Florida, the fields are white unto harvest. That you and I are ambassadors. We're wit- we're, we are to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We are to take steps of faith, not by sight, not by what we feel, but by the power and the truth of the word of God. And so when they heard the report of the spies, you know what they, here's what the Israelites said, and maybe you've said this before. Well, then the Lord hates us. Have you ever done that? You're there, and you come to a situation, and you realize it feels dire, and you just think, well, then the Lord doesn't like me. You know, lots of people think, here's the issue. We have to, the the problem in Tampa, Florida, the problem in the United States of America with a lot of people is just atheism, right? Just believing, or not believing in a God. But here's what we know. Talk to people. Talk to people more than just a little bit. And you realize, and we, and we know this from the book of Romans, chapter 1, that's really not the case. Because the Bible says morality, right and wrong, are written on your heart. The sense of the divine is already in you. And if you really ask, I don't think our fight, your fight and my fight, fundamentally, our community's fight is against what? Is against whether or not we believe there's a God. Because I, I think most people actually do. It's asking ourselves, look, do I really believe in the love and the grace of God? And that's my question to you. Do you believe in God's grace and God's love and God's mission for you? Because if you really believe that, if you trust in that, I tell you, your whole spiritual future and growth will change. So I was in the RTS uh, counseling program and part of, you study the Bible and what it says according to, you know, different mental health uh, categories, but you also, you also study some um, uh, ca- kind of counseling or, or, or uh, yeah, counseling philosophers, and, and one guy that we studied was a sociologist, his name was Eric Erickson, 
And he says, this is the first stage of formation for anybody's personality or anybody's development. The first stage is you're, you know, right when they're birthed to their first birthday. And here's what kids ask themselves. When I cry, does my parent come and take care of me? From, from, you know, day one till day 365, there's a fundamental question that little babies ask themselves. And we've seen this time and time again in orphanages and, and how that trust allows what? Allows a child to attach to a mom or a dad. And that, ask a, that, that answers a fundamental question. Because if that question isn't answered, then you start out with, you know what I have to do? I have to fend for myself. And some of you, you haven't even answered that question or that, that question has been answered with a, a resounding no. And then that means, okay, really, I can kind of have Christianity as an option, right? In the, in, the, in, the, in the deluxe version, right, if I get the Honda Accord EX, it's one of the deluxe packages. Option, I could kind of give a little something to God and see what happens. Instead of, it's fundamentally who I am. I trust the Lord, and I place my life, what? I place my life in His and he is the one who will take me. So you know what, Joshua, Caleb, 10 other dudes, don't go. Don't walk for 500 miles. Let's go. Let's take the whole people. Because here's what we know. That God is for us. What do we know happens? Fast forward. The people of Israel literally simply walk around the wall of Jericho. Right? They don't do anything except walk around and yell and blow some trumpets. And the walls, they what? They come a-tumbling down. Because God has gone before you. And God has gone before me. And when we understand that, instead of saying, you know what? Uh, I'm going to stay in this kind of Christian purgatory. Because imagine the Israelites. And for some of us, you know the life you used to live. That party life, the secular life. The, the, the life that felt oppressive. And you don't want to go back to that, right? You know what that's like, and you wake up in the morning and you feel horrible. And you just, you know, it's one, one person, you know, one night stands and, and different kinds of addictive chemicals, and it lasts for 24, 48 hours, and you're just left empty. But you're not willing to say, let's take the land. And you're caught here. And you're saying, God, I don't want to go back to Egypt. Because I was a slave to that, but I also don't want to have to have the faith to, to enter into the promised land. I know you said the seed and the blessing is coming, but I don't want to do that. And for some of us, I think we're just here. Maybe even this pandemic, the, the division that we feel, all the stuff that's going on, and you just stayed here. And you say, you know what, I'm just going to be in this holding pattern for a while until what? Until the circumstances change. And then, what? Then I'll take uh, the next step. But we see time and time again how much, what, how much um, uh, the Israelites missed out on, right? And, and so for some of us, we say, you know what, I'm going to go back to irreligion. I'm going to go back to uh, this secular life. But there's another part where some of us say, okay, God, I will follow you, and I will follow you because... You told me that if I follow you, you'll take the land. But it's only because God will bless me. So some, what some of us say is this. We say, okay, God, I will come to church as long as you keep my marriage together or as long as you keep my kid away from, you know, 
a teenage pregnancy or getting strung out on drugs or something crazy. I will do that. So God, I will follow you. I will follow you, not for you, but for what? The benefits of being a Christian. You know what God says to that? I'm not going with you. You know what he said to the, the, the people of Israel? They lost. They couldn't take the land. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant wasn't with them. The presence of God wasn't with them. When we do that and we use God as a vending machine, it's an equally wrong decision that we make. And that's hard. I know that. All right? Um, how many times have you seen uh, your, maybe your own struggle or a marriage struggle? And, hey, this person will be fine if this person changes. And as long as there's this threat of leaving, then this person will change and be this way. But it's only as long as the threat is there. And then once this person stops changing, what happens? The marriage gets bad again. It isn't until this person begins to threaten to leave, and then this person, I've seen that time and time again in marriages, where someone is saying, look, I want to leave, and this, if they don't straighten up, and then they straighten up just to keep the marriage together, and there is no intimacy. It's just like a, it's like a, a contract. And then... We all are sinners and we fall away and you know what? The marriage uh, becomes stale again and it becomes infected again. Because what ultimately God is calling us to, it is, it is a radical faith. It's a faith that calls us to more than you ever thought possible. And so the question is, what's God's solution to this? Because it's all rooted, all rooted back in God's covenant promises where we read earlier uh, in, in the book of in Deuteronomy 1 where God says I swore to Abraham he says I swear to Abraham that you know what you just look up into the sky like the stars in the sky and sands on the beach I swear God says I swear to you that's how, how um, it's God's literal oath and then in, jo- in Genesis 15 what do we see uh, and we've talked about this a lot where God says I'm going to cut a covenant so you didn't sign a covenant in the Old Testament in the ancient years, you cut a covenant. And so you brought some animals and you literally cut them in half. And there was blood everywhere. And what did that symbolize? It symbolized, look, it's going to take death for one of these parties, right, uh, to, uh, to be out of this covenant. And so we know in Genesis 15 that God said, you know what, here's what I'm gonna do for you. This is how much I love you, Israel. I'm going to walk this covenant for you and I'm not even going to hold your hand in it. I'm going to walk it by myself. I swear by my own character on the, on the blood of these animals, you will take the land. Even if it's just 300 of you, as he said with Gideon. Even if it's just one family, as he said with Noah. I promise you, you will take the land. Even if it's just a small remnant, I promise you, that you, uh, that, that I am faithful to my covenant promises. And I promise you, uh, Israel, I promise you, West Town, that I've gone ahead of you because I know that there are going to be spears. I know there are going to be people persecuting you. I know the arrows coming your way. I already know them. I've gone before you. And if you know that, um, then you know what? how much more empowered and emboldened can we be? If you know that God has gone before you this week and prepared a path for you and you are just called to trust him 
And you know when you're in God's word and you're with God's spirit that you are walking with him. And you know what happens, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the famous hymn says, and the things of this world will what? They will go strangely dim. When you are walking with him, when Moses was walking with him, the things of the world grew dim. And ultimately, you see the Lord. But here's the beautiful thing. Um, is that it will take death, literally death, uh, for this covenant to be severed. And here's what we know about Jesus. That uh, Jesus says, you know what? Um, I will be the one to be ripped in two so that this covenant will still be alive. I will be the one. Like, I am the one who's willing to die. My blood, we know blood had to be shed. It's gonna take death to remove us or death to be paid for this covenant to be made right. And Jesus said, you know what? I, I will do that. I will do that for you. It was awesome. Three years ago, we were in the communicants class, and I'm t- teaching this communicants class, and we were talking about the Lord's Supper. And there was this fifth grade girl, and she's like, and we were talking about uh, animals being uh, sacrificed and then how that points us to, the Passover points us to the Lord's Supper. And she goes, so when you rip the bread you're saying that Jesus' body, he allowed his body to be ripped for me. I said, yeah, that's the power of that. It's beautiful. And she goes, okay, so if he did that for me, well, I should be willing to do whatever for him. I said, yeah. I mean, when you understand that someone died for you, someone's body was ripped was torn and blood was shed when you understand that 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 kept the covenant with God together when you understand that and then she says you know well then yeah I could tell people in my school about the Lord if I realize he did that for me what am I so scared of and man I tell you it was like the whole class got just silent (laughs) right it was beautiful because we all realized oh my goodness what is holding us back if the Lord has gone before us and his body is willing to be ripped for us, what is holding you back? What, what hill will you not climb? Because you say, no, 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 no. I want to hedge. I want to send spies up there and to make sure that I win. And he says, no. I want you to trust in me. I want, and you know what? You're going to get hurt. That's what we know. Part of Christianity is blessed are those that are persecuted. Blessed are those that long to be with him though, that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Part of being in that hunger and that thirst is to say, you know what, okay, God, I want you and that means I'm gonna have to take it. I'm gonna have to take it on the chin, but I can take it because you took it. You took everything for me. And this whole story points us to the beauty of Jesus. If you knew that, right? If you knew that, I tell you what, if you understood that and lived that, what's, what's a little ribbing? What's a little awkward tension in a conversation when you know God is, God is pricking you? I've never, ever shared with my neighbor anything about my life at all, and I've lived with them for, next to them for 10 years. I, you know, how many Thanksgivings have I been with my in-laws, and I've never, ever, ever told them my only hope in life and in death And I'm feeling the Spirit move right now, and here's what I know. When the Spirit moves, that God has gone before me. He's gone before me. 
And so that path is, is the right and perfect path for you. But what do we have to do? We have to decide. Is that a big enough cross? Is the sacrifice of Jesus big enough for us to be compelled? Not because we have to or we think my life is going to be better because that's why, that's why you saw the Israelites go into the land without the presence of God because all they wanted was the land and to get rich and to make sure their families were together and God knew that because more than anything, here's what we know. God, he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to want to spend time with him and to trust him. Think about that. Any father or mother, that's what we long for our kids, to trust us, to say, yeah, we're leading this family because we have a path that's marked out for this family and we have it set out, right? Will you trust us to lead? That's, that's our good father. But here's what we know. We know God is a spirit. He is invisible. He is odorless. He is tasteless. And it requires, in a world where we live by sight, where we live by a, a news ticker, where we live by the next stat, we have to trust, hey, if I'm a grasshopper, I'm a grasshopper. Let's take the hill. We can take these giants because we have faith in the one that is over and more powerful than anything. So let me ask you this. What's stopping you? If you had to write it on a three-by-five card right now, what is stopping you? What is your number one obstacle that you say, you know what? Okay, God goes before me, but I don't know if he can, you know, chart out this. Is it, is it, a, is it a desire, a drive that you have to have? Is it a relationship that's become an idol as we've already sung? Is it simply just wanting to be safe? He says to his people, look, just like we know C.S. Lewis said about Aslan, he's not safe, but he's good. And that's our God. What is it? Please make this personal. Please ask God that he would give you the faith to believe that he has gone before you. And because he was ripped in two, and he went through all of that, he kept the covenant for you. You don't have to keep it. You get to. You get to be obedient. That should be nervously exciting. Because it's scary to do this. I know that this, isn't, this is not a simple thing to do in this world. So let's ask God to be with us. Let's ask God to steer this on our